Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. By mimicking Christine Ebersole, he realized how high he could sing. Welcome, Andrew Rannells. A-OK. A-OK. Hi, everyone. My guest today is the Tony, Emmy, and Golden Globe-nominated and Grammy Award-winning actor, Andrew Rannells. Andrew has an incredible Broadway resume, which includes roles in Falsettos, Hamilton, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, The Book of Mormon, Jersey Boys, and Hairspray. TV audiences know him from Girls, The New Normal, Glee, The Nick, The Simpsons, Another Period, and more. He charmed us with his winning performance in the film The Intern with Anne Hathaway and Robert De Niro, and there is no doubt there will be many more amazing film roles in his future. Welcome, Andrew Reynolds. That's a very nice welcome. It's very nice. That's my favorite part. I mean, it's nice to check in on your own bio. Yeah. Sometimes you're like, oh, I did stuff. See? You, did, you did much it's more like stuff. like reading your own obituary, and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. There's some things that I did. I did some stuff, and then I died. Basically. Basically, that's what happened. So the thing that I want to ask you, because this is true for me, and I'm curious if this is true for you, mm-hmm. how long did it take before you could hear a doorbell and not feel like you had to burst into song? <laughs> a while. A while. I mean, it still happened. Because the commercial, like, they've just updated the TV commercial for the Book of Mormon, so it's not me jumping on a trampoline anymore. But I still, like, when I hear New York One, they'll start it, and I—, I there's it's Pavlovian. Something. Totally. Yeah. Our doorbell in our apartment building, nothing Standard chimey about dong. it. It's yep. ding dong. And every day, whether it's my 10-year-old, my 12-year-old, or my husband, or me, or even the dog at this point, we have to burst into Book of Mormon song. And the other sure. thing you should know is our Book of Mormon summer oh. was two summers ago. I want you to picture the Famusa family 
much like the Von Trapps. Okay. Except we're in Paris and we're on like these city bikes all around oh Paris. Oh my God. And we are singing Book of Mormon at the top of our lungs around the Louvre. There's like that yeah, triangular that, glass mm-hmm. thing. And that's us, like running people over and sort of like, hello. I'm, and like it was the best summer <laughs> ever. So we're done. So thank you oh, for well, coming thanks in. for having me. This was so easy. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you about that. <laughs> I've had many musicals in my life that I'm obsessive about. Okay. What's the first musical that you obsessed about? I would say the first musical that I truly obsessed about as a conscious musical theater lover, Mm -hmm. as opposed to, I grew up in New Jersey, that's near New York City, so we would come see shows for family celebrations, was Into the Woods. That was- Mine too. So that was your entree. Yep. And knowing like there's nothing, this is amazing. That PBS, they filmed it for PBS. Well, you grew up in Omaha. Yeah, so I was nowhere near a Broadway stage. That PBS recording was like the greatest thing in the world. And I really did, like, I got that album. I remember I, I got the cassette tape and then sent away for the libretto. Because you, on the back, Yes, it said you it. could. So I wrote and got it, it yes. because I wasn't even sure what a libretto was. What is but a libretto? I still don't really know. It's just like all the of nice the scarf. lyrics printed. I mean, it comes right. with the CD, but it didn't come with the cassette because it was right. too big. So right. I sent away for it and I got the libretto. And then you could lie in your bed and, like, yeah, listen obsess and read it. Yeah, about the pictures and, um, All right, yeah. well, let's go back even, let's go back Let's go back. Let's ding, 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 ding. Omaha, Nebraska. Yep. A place I've never been. Well. I know it for steaks. Yes, steaks. Are your family like many generations of Nebraskans? Nebraskans. Mm -hmm. Nebraskans. Oh, yeah, they're all there. Both my mom and my dad's family were, some of my dad's family was from Iowa, but mostly they all lived in in Omaha. So we're firmly planted in the Midwest. Not Mormon. Not Mormon Catholic. Is that the same thing? I mean... There's a great story it's at the center of both religions. <laughs> yes. Great story. Catholics have a little more history, I mm-hmm. guess, right? So Longer. Like the, so the Mormons had a hard time because it was new and right. their iconography was not as old and like all of that. But Catholics, like, that's an old one. But we were sort of cafeteria Catholics. You sort of pick and choose, like, what we were going to believe and what we weren't. So my parents were pretty liberal. Which is great. Which is great. Were there, like, touring companies that would come yeah, through? Yeah, a lot. I, I understand now that some of them were what we call bus and truck mm-hmm. and non-equity tours, yes. which I didn't know. that. I mean, what did I know? What right. did I care if, if someone was in a union or not? If they could sing. Um, yeah, so they were singing and dancing. But I saw—I started seeing all of the—I think the first tour I saw— was probably Avita, starring Donna Marie Asbury. Amazing. Who's in Chicago and has been in Chicago for like yeah. 17 years. Have you been literally. able to tell her? Absolutely. I like struck up a friendship with her when I was at the Book of Mormon and we were working across the street from each other. And she's right. so lovely and so nice. And But I was like, I remember like her name was like burned into my head, Donna hey. Marie Asbury. So a lot of my friends or guests on the show who didn't grow up in an urban area or certainly in New York City found out they could sing mm-hmm. in church. Yeah. You have one of the most incredible voices I've ever That's heard. That's very sweet. And for a male voice, your range is pretty incredible. I guess I wonder, when does a male voice mature into the voice I'm hearing now when you sing? When did that happen? And when did you know? This is a four-part question. And when did you know, holy shit. That I could sing? Not um, just sing, Andy. It took a while. I always had a high voice. I could always sing high, but it was really untrained and kind of unpredictable. 
and even after Hairspray was my first Broadway show, I didn't really consider myself like to be a super strong singer. It was good for that show because it was sort of, you know, Mark and Scott's sort of like right. 60s pop sound. So I could do that. And I realized that I was like, this I can do. But it wasn't until I did Jersey Boys a few years later where I felt like my voice kind of was 29, I guess. And my voice kind of like clicked a little bit. Something something shifted in the way that I was singing. Were you working with a teacher? No. So you just loved to sing? And I just sing loved to sing. All the time? Yeah, I had a vocal coach who was not like a technician, but like, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, like on that tour, like the placement thing that I learned was... Jersey Boys tour? Jersey Boys was mimicking how Christine Ebersol sings, okay. <laughs> which is very specific, but she has a really like forward placed voice. And I found and like listening to her sing that like when you imitated when her, I was imitating Christine Ebersol, I yes. realized that I could like sing a little higher and I had a little more control over. I know that's the strangest that's thing in the world, wild. but I was like, were there certain songs of hers or albums? She has an album that she, uh, of her like cabaret show that she did at the Carlisle that I had, and it was, it's fantastic. It's a really great, I think it's called Live from the Cinegrill, Uh I think, which is really great. And then that Grey Gardens cast album is also really incredible. But yeah, there's something about her technique and her placement that just like, I don't know, but when you were younger, before that album even existed, you were singing. Yeah, but not well, and just kind of (laughs) yelling. Right. So <laughs> I was like a yelling well, singer. Welcome to certain Broadway Hello. shows, people. Well, it's my true. entire career. So how did holding me into the woods cassette <clears throat> lead to your journey as a professional person doing it too? Just as well. And now working with James Lapine, just by the way. I the know. full circle of it all. It's so crazy to me. Mm-hmm. It's so crazy. I took an interest in, you know, in Community theater. There's a community theater in our town. So I did that as a kid. And then that sort of just became like my thing that I did these local shows in high school and dinner theaters. As a teen? As a teen. Okay. As a tween and a teen. And then when it came time to start thinking about college, I was like, I got to, I really want to go to New York and I want to try this. So I knew nothing. I was at an all boys Catholic high school. This was like, pre-internet, so it's not like you could just, like, Google, like, what's a good school for me to go to? And no one in your family was in the entertainment business. No, so I had, like, a priest who was, like, the guidance counselor being like, well, I don't know, Andy. I'm not – I don't know what to tell you. (laughs) I'm not sure where to tell you where to go in New York. I was like, well, I think NYU is a school. And it was, and a very expensive one. Not so that yet. led me to Marymount. That's supposed to have a great theater program. Upper West, Upper East Side, yeah. Yep. It is It is a great, and it got me to New York, and I was there for two years. Did you years. have to audition? I did. Do you remember what you did? Oh, hell yeah. I sang Extraordinary from Pippin. Can you do, like, the first line? Do you remember it? <laughs> no. <laughs> how does that, wait, how does that song I can't. start? Okay, just say I it. I can't do it. Do you remember how it started? Patch on the Roof. Oh, yeah, okay. Pitch in the okay. Hay. I know which one now. All right. Um, yes. He only sings for money. <laughs> I only people. sing for money. And, and after yes. 12, p- 12 p.m. Yeah, so I sang Extraordinary. And then I did a monologue from Shadowbox. It's about Who like, helped you make those choices, like your community theater uh-huh. director? Yeah. Well, those were the right choices. Those weren't were good they? choices. You got in. I did. I got in. It was a good program. It was, But it was. I was very distracted in New York. I mean, coming from Nebraska, moving to New York, there's no campus mm-hmm. at Marymount. So it was like I, the school was on the Upper East Side. I lived in Brooklyn Heights. I was just basically like running all over the city. Did you know anybody? 
I had one friend that I had met at a college scholarship audition who's still my best friend, Zuzana Shutkovsky. And she, she's your Hannah. She's my Hannah. And we moved here the same year. She went to Barnard because she's fancy and smart. Yeah. So I ended up spending a lot of time with her up by Barnard in Columbia. And it was also the year after Rent opened. Mm-hmm. And if you'll recall, there did were all Did you those... see Rent as soon as you got to New York? I did. I saw it actually right before I moved here. But the thing about Rent when I moved here was there's all these signs up that said, can you sing? Audition for Rent. Because they were just like des- everybody was getting nodes and like they were trying to like desperately recast people. Yes, like, I feel like they were on tu- like, like telephone booths and yes. stuff. Like, do you need John's moving? Yes. And it was like, <laughs> do you sing yes. audition for rent? Yes. So I was like, I want to audition for rent. I do sing. So I started dropping out of school and like going to open calls. How far did you get in that process? Pretty far the first time, mm-hmm. the first go around, which was a real mindfuck as like a my first Broadway audition to get. So close to rent, yeah. It's like Hamilton, yeah. Like and then the I time. didn't get it, but I was like, "Oh, I, I'm definitely in the right place." Like I'm just 19. Was I that almost, your first Broadway audition? Yeah, yeah. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. But later that year, mm-hmm. I was an intern at HWA. Uh huh. Uh huh. I feel like I know where this is going. Yes, and I used to fax your headshot. Wait, you were an intern? Yes. I was their their little bitch intern that had to do, like, mostly it was calling people and asking for more headshots or putting together submission packets, which I was very educational. I spoke. I don't remember ever having to call I was you. very good about replenishing my headshots. Your headshots. But I do remember, like, because then I saw you in Your Good Man, Charlie Brown, yes. and, like, I was a, it was like, like a big. That's my headshot. Yeah. I know that girl. It's funny. There's a, a handful of people, like, I'm friendly with now that I'm like, oh, I used to fax their headshots. How about all the people who are interns? somewhere who are now like feeling like this exuberant feeling of faith that I can go from like doing that and then being Andrew. Well, that's... You are an inspiration. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just a testament to like... You were a good Life is long and you've got to like be creative. And I would get so discouraged because so many of my friends had a very sort of traditional path. They went to a good college and they right. got the the showcase and then they got the agent and then they started auditioning. And so many of my friends at that time were in Broadway shows. I was like, well, this is just never going to happen for me because I felt sort of... Was it torturous kind of faxing yeah. headshots of people doing what you wanted to be doing? Yeah, I stopped acting for a little while. I got a job. I had always done a lot of voiceover work and I was working for this animation company called Four Kids, the number four kids. And Clever. they did like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And, sure. and for two years I directed cartoons, like voiceover cartoons. At a, like way too young to be doing it. But That's they gave me this amazing. job. So I just tried to block all of that Broadway stuff out because it was it wasn't happening for me. So I'm just gonna do these voiceovers. So how did you get an agent? When I decided, I was like, okay, I'm going to take another stab at this musical theater thing, I reached out to Craig Burns. I said, you know, I want to start auditioning again after two years of not auditioning. So he started bringing me in for stuff. And one of the things he brought me in for was a big open call for hairspray. So I went in and booked it, which was crazy. Yeah. So that was your first big thing. That was my first big thing. I played Fender. On Broadway. On Broadway. So your first job, this is how it starts. My first show is on Broadway. I mean, I'd done some regional Uh work. I don't want to minimize my time at the Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater. And I don't want you to either. No, I don't. Hashtag Westchester Broadway Theater. We're going to (sighs) blow, we are blowing up right now on Twitter. (laughs) 
It's it's trending. Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater. It's definitely trending. Um, but you're all alone. See, I came. I grew up in Teaneck, New Jersey. I just came over the George Washington Bridge. And you're like, here I am. Here. here I am. I already knew where it was. I yep. had family just on the other side of the bridge. I went to college in the city. I always think about for people who came here, like you met one person. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so suddenly you're growing your own family. Yeah. Are you homesick? Are you like... Definitely. Like, yeah. Definitely. But I knew I had to sort of stick it out, mm-hmm. which was hard, which was like, you know, not going home for some holidays and not like, and really just making a decision like, I just got to do this. I just got to stick it out and see what happens. I was 26 when I got Hairspray. So I moved here at 19. That was such a fun show, though. It was a fun show. I love that show. I have, I've, 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 I've do a mean pony now because of that show. That could be on your resume still under special skills. Thanks, Jerry Mitchell. I may have seen you in Hairspray because I did not see it early on. It took me a while to go see it. Uh, So I probably saw you. And then Jersey Boys was huge. And so it's funny to me that you didn't think of yourself as a singer because that show is really just about a couple of guys who sing. That was a really, I was going to say life-changing, but it was life-changing for me because it, it built a lot of confidence. I left that almost two-year period doing that show, playing that part, with a, a much better sense of self and being, like, an adult in this business. And I didn't feel like I needed to be a kid or, like, just grateful to be here. I felt like, okay, you've earned some space. So it really sort of set me up sort of timing-wise perfectly for the Book of Mormon because when all of those auditions started happening, and as you know, like, sometimes those auditions can take – forever. Like it takes months. I just felt like I was in a good spot to be like, well, this is the thing that I do. And I don't know if it's for you, but I'm going to do my thing. And hopefully it's what you like. You were so unbelievably funny and moving and your voice was just so perfectly suited for the material in Mormon. Was that apparent to you and to them the first time you came in, did you feel that way? Like there was this incredible synthesis between what you have to offer and what was on the page of that script? There was something about, and I think, you know, Trey Parker and I have talked about it, that when I came into the room and he's from Colorado and I'm from Nebraska and there was just some sort of like Midwestern shorthand that happened between us. Did you know each other at all? No. It was funny. I had done a show a couple months before called Lysistrata Jones. Oh, yeah. And But we were like out of town. We were doing it in Dallas. And the choreographer and the director was this guy named Dan Connectus. And he was about to do the workshop of the Book of Mormon. And because I'm a, you know, an actor, um, always keeping my eye on like the next, next job. Next. So I'm here. I am working with him, and I asked him one day. I was like, Tell me "So about Book that. of Mormon?" I was like, yeah. "Well, he was like, oh, it's really great, and the script is really funny, and it's really crazy.'" And I said, "I'm just gonna ask. Like, is there? Do you think there's anything for me in that show?" And he thought about it, and he went, "No, not really." Really? And I was like, "Okay." And I just sort of took him at his word because, right. like, Knowing I didn't know the material, so I, I was like, "Okay, maybe not." And then they did the workshop, and then, you know, unfortunately, they decided to re- – or fortunately for me, they decided to recast a so couple So you weren't roles. in the original workshop? No. There um, really was nothing for you in that. There wasn't because it was already cast. But then they had auditions to make some replacements, and it just – yeah. Sometimes the biggest jobs turn out to be the easiest to get in some strange way. I think I only went in three times. 
and then that was it. And it was like over the course of like. And so, what were you? Were weeks. you singing? I believe I sang a song that sort of became you and me, but mostly me. It wasn't called that at the time. Mm-hmm. It was called something incredible. I sang that, and I I feel like I had to sing the first part of I believe. Can you even wrap your brain around now with some distance from it, being the kid watching the Tonys, to being the kid nominated mm-hmm. for a Tony? crushing it with your performance. Every rehearsal we did, I was so, I just felt like I was just in a zone and I was like, everything's great. I totally have this. And everybody was, I think, kind of amazed that I was just like floating through the, you know, we were still doing the show at night and like nothing phased me. Everything was fine. And then we got to that night and Nikki James won right before I performed. So I was like watching her and very emotional and then I was standing behind this like giant wall of electronics that was going to like fly up above my head and I was supposed to walk out from underneath it. And I just like lost my mind for a second. And I was like, I can't believe I have to do this right now. But you got In front of tens of people on television. Tens of people all over the world. (laughs) Tens of people are watching at home. But but it was such an amazing night. And again, going back to the fact that like the Tonys and, you know, seeing those performances on PBS, like that's the reason I wanted to do this. It's very humbling to get to be a part of that that broadcast. Do you have a sense of why it has happened for you? Because there are a lot of ambitious people. Of course. And there are a lot of talented people. Yes. But it's happening. Then you stepped into the most famous show on the planet. I can't like can you even explain what it's like to be inside of Hamilton? (laughs) That one was very odd because just one day I got this phone call for my agent and he was like crazy question crazy he was like so and I had put in a request for house seats had you seen it yet no because <laughs> I couldn't hard get to tickets get. and I put get. in a request and yes. I thought he was gonna call and say like they finally we came got you in year. kid yeah and um and said he was like they offered you, randomly they offered you this would you come in for five weeks and fill in for Jonathan Groff I was like what do I get tickets yeah I was like I guess I can see it now yeah um and I got to see it like an obscene amount of times because I watched it every night when I was rehearsing. Can you just tell us a little bit? Because we all live voyeuristically right now. We wait yeah. every day, like, what's Lynn going to tell us what's on Twitter? Happening? Right, what's yeah. happening? We, there, I mean, and I shared a dressing do... room with him. It was so right. crazy, yeah. So um, did you know him before? Just from being around. Didn't really know Tommy Kale. So it was a real shock that they asked me to do it. Jonathan and I joked that they were just like, who's another gay person on HBO? Oh, Andrew. Reynolds can do it. <laughs> and then we were. Well, how lucky that isn't you're that, that gay guy from HBO? Yes. I'm like, yes, it is. Yes. Still. Perfect. That's fantastic. You're still the gay guy. <laughs> it worked guy. out. Now you might be you the could only say it one. About, you could say it about Jonathan or me, and it right. would still be true. You guys are interchangeable. I th- I've always thought that. Like, if you got sick, he could totally be Elijah. He could just step in for me. Every job you do is the most fun with the best people and it's, the best writing. Pretty crazy. You just go from one to the other. It's really, when you say it like that. It's yeah. kind of like that. It's and pretty amazing. Well, this I feel like I would be sad if I didn't talk about falsettos for a moment. Sure. And just say, like, what a crazy experience this has been. Yeah. Because it really is like, that's the other show that I really obsessed about was from the 1992 Tonys when they did the baseball number. Uh. And I got the CDs from the library. Yeah. And really just like was so blown away by this material. That so, kind of storytelling had really never happened before. No, no. And to and, see yourself in it. Yeah. 
as a gay kid, as a kid, first mm-hmm. of all, and then as like a gay person. And yeah. Did so, you know you were a gay kid? A gay child? Yeah. Um, yes. Uncertain. On um, Yes. Okay. I mean, I don't think I had the words for it, but I was in love with Maxwell Caulfield. Mm-hmm. So. Well, then you did have the words pretty for much. it. <laughs> I don't know what clearer words there might be. Wait, how old are you when you're like I mean, that one? young, like five. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I just want to date Michael Carrington from Greece too. Mm-hmm. Have you? No. It hasn't happened. I met him once and I frightened him. I met him at an um, Easter bonnet. Competition. The competition for right. Broadway Cares. And I we had to share like a little holding room and I was trying to be cool. And then I was like, you know what? I'm just going to talk to him. I need to be cool. So I was like, hey, I, you know, I said – but I said something really aggressive like how informative he was to like my sexuality, which was like not – was not a good way to phrase that. But what he said to me was, I hear that a lot from people. <laughs> well, he could have been a little – He was nice about yeah. it. But I was like, I'm sure he gets a lot of so like – So he's not gay. No. No, he's married to Juliet Mills. So falsetto is such uh, a magical experience, and that cast, I mean— Did you meet the original cast? Have you spoken yes. to the original yeah, yeah, yeah. cast? Christian and I got to do an interview with Steve McGardis and Michael Rupert um, before we opened, and then very generously they all came to our opening night, the entire original company, which was really lovely. And I'm sure very strange for them. And I mean, the show is—it's so—it it's one of those shows that, like, really bonds a cast in a very specific way because mm-hmm. you do have to, like— really be in love with each other to tell that story every night. So it it was sort of necessary for us to like all fall in love and become this family together. So that was their experience as well. And they still keep in touch with each other and they still are very much in each other's lives. So it's a really, uh, it's a special, uh, special show, but it's such a a beautiful story to get to tell. So you've done a couple of parts the new normal and this, where your co-stars, I think Christian is straight, yeah, yeah. and Justin Bartha is straight. Yeah. Do you think about it? Yeah. I mean, I think Christian is, is a great example of how it it shouldn't and doesn't matter. Um, his whatever, you know, his sexuality offstage has not ever sort of drifted into our workplace environment. And I don't think mine has either. I think that we both, I mean, not that it, it doesn't inform your character. Of course mm-hmm. it does, but it just feels very natural and very easy and very – it's about the storytelling with him. But I was having this conversation with a friend of mine, another gay actor, and we were saying how rare it is that two gay actors are actually cast right. opposite each other. There's usually a heterosexual a guy, yeah. and a homosexual. And I don't know what the – if there's some sort of conscious choice on like director's parts or – I don't know what it is, but it's something that it's definitely— That would be really exciting, though. To have two— Yeah. Yeah. It just Or just for that to be the new normal. Yeah. That there's no—I mean, maybe some of it just has to do with marquee value. Totally. Um, and look, and I, I this is a—it's a conversation that's always a little tricky because people ask me initially, too, when we before we start rehearsals, like, oh, well, Christian's not gay, so it's, you know, it's, it'd be nice to have a gay actor doing it. Mm-hmm. But Christian is— Remarkable. Yeah, Christian is magnificent in this part. So beautiful. And yeah. I can't imagine anyone else playing this part. Yeah. So he's clearly the best person for the job. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't want to be not cast in something that I was perfect for because I was gay. I'm not exactly Maybe not in the theater. Maybe being not. offered like action roles yet. I'm well, going to bring Elijah back. does some running. <laughs> I do a lot of running in this coming season. Do you? Man, yeah. Lena and I are all over the city, yeah. which is always like that's the most fun to like if you actually get to film in New York 
and you're on the streets of New York. It's like, I don't know. It's really something really magical about that. You're like, oh, I'm like, we're doing it. We're well, doing and it that's the fun of watching the show, especially for New Yorkers. I mean, yeah. I think the show resonates no matter where you live. We're talking about Girls. Girls. The HBO series that... Uh, Starting February 12th. Is of 2017. <laughs> yeah. So did that part come to you during... Mormon? During Mormon. Yeah. Have you had to audition for anything in a long time? I auditioned for that. I auditioned for girls. They, because the part was written f- totally, a phys- very different physical type than me. Uh, Maxwell Caulfield. Caulfield. No, they wanted like, they wanted like a heavy set bearded yogi, is how it was described. And then I came in. And was definitely not that. And I was doing Mormon at night. So I was like super squeaky clean. And Lena and I did the scene as written. And then we just improvised for a long, long time and um, really had such a good time together. And they're like, all right, let's do it. Do you improvise on that show or is it pretty scripted? It is very scripted. Um, We have wonderful, wonderful writers. And that's always, you know, beautifully written and told. Um, We do, depending on the scene and the needs of the scene, and particularly with my character because Mm -hmm. often I don't have a lot of exposition. I don't have a lot of heavy lifting story-wise. Right, right. So I get to come in and just sort of mess around. I know on certain shows that that have a staff of writers, Mm -hmm. it, it ends up happening that as the seasons progress, there's one writer who maybe is the most in your character's head. Has that happened on your show where one person is most responsible for the Elijah that we see? Yeah, I can always... Most of it is Lena. A lot of it is Bruce Eric Kaplan. Uh, and I can always tell, like, when on they... the page. I'm like, oh, and I would text Bruce and be like, is that you? And yeah. Like, yeah, it was me. But it's mostly Lena and, and Bruce, I would say. And it's funny because he's like a straight dad, like, in his, you know, late 40s or right. something. But he really... He there's just it. something about it Yeah. So do you have any um, from from early on or maybe yesterday, audition stories that you can share that maybe are funny now. One that always, like, still irks me, and I'm going to get, like, upset even telling it. So I remember sorry. auditioning for Gossip Girl oh. to be a um, a doorman, and I had two lines, which were name and I'm sorry. Like, that was— Right, the, she's yeah. not on the list or whatever. So— I start, and I was like, hey, I'm Andrew Rannells. I'm auditioning for the doorman. And then I was like, name. And the casting assistant was like, I'm going to stop you. You're talking to Serena Vanderwooten, okay? Do you know who that is? It's Blake Lively. So think about that. It's like, okay. Name. Okay, again. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I was like waiting with all these people. It was like one of those horrible audition rooms. It was like, and it was like all shapes and sizes. Right. Like there's all of clearly, you called for the same time. Yes. And I was like, what's happening? And the fact that he made me do that so many times, I was so angry. Why? That's so mean. Name. And of course I didn't get it. But I was like, oh. Oh, I wanted this story to you. end. And then I got to tell well, Blake Lively. Well, and then years later, after the Book of Mormon, this casting agency was like wanted to have like a general with me. And I was like, great, I'll have a general. So I went in and I was like, before we get started, I just want to tell you a story about how your assistants treat people. And they were so horrified. But I was like, I want to tell you this because. Yeah. They were like, Carl, can you come you should in here? Know. Well, and I'm sure that kid is like long gone and running a network Mike. now. <laughs> That's Bob Greenblatt. <laughs> that, his name is Bob Greenblatt. <laughs> you know, um, he's single-handedly. Probably. Name. Uh, that is so mean. You know what I think? I think he liked you. I don't know. He liked you. I think you. he liked the power. 
And what about one from like the world of musical Musical theater? theater. The one that stands out most to me in my head is auditioning for um, the non-equity tour of Greece while I was doing Greece at the Westchester Broadway Dinner Theater. Callback. And I, so I was like, oh, I have this in the bag. Like, I'm playing duty at Westchester. There's no reason they won't cast me on the non-equity tour, right? Done deal. Done and done. So I went in. Of course, the audition is like at 10 a.m. I was 21, didn't warm up. That song is very high. And as I started to sing, and it was like reaching, as magic changes. And as you like, it sort of comes to a point where you're supposed to hit the big notes. I was like, oh, it's not going to happen. Like, I could just feel it. I was like, it's, I'm going to reach for it, and it's not going to be there. So instead, I just screamed mm. like a maniac. Like, I thought I was going to just, like, make a joke out of it. And I did, like, a weird, like, I don't know what I was going for. Like, sort of Bruce Springsteen-y, like, right. Ah! right. And looked at the table, and everyone, like, was just like, oh, my God. Like, they, uh, uh, yeah. He is not our brand. Nope. Not it's funny. Not our brand. Not our duty. And Hashtag then, not our duty. No. So then. So then I didn't get it. No. And then you're like, okay. <laughs> so then I had to get in the van and go to Westchester to and do feel two horrible. shows. I was like, I blew it. But you are able. You were able to hit that note in Book of Mormon. Pretty like, did you ever have one when you couldn't do it? Yeah, I. Did I you learn I, how to. Yeah, cheat to, it yeah. a little bit, like go low when they go there high. Was, like there, what? there was no way to sort of. Like, I believe sort of, like, is what it is. Like, you can't, you just have to do it. And magically, I always managed to do it. The one that gave me trouble was you and me, but mostly me at the beginning, because it's very high. It's yeah. higher than Starts I believe. Starts high and goes Starts high higher. and goes higher, and yeah. that's my fault, because I... Tell me if this is, like, a myth or true, but there's there's a little mythology about you that you decided to place that song so high that no one else who came after you would ever be able to do it quite as magnificently. Tell me All about right. that. Well, when I... This is a little known fact. This is a little known fact. Share, for real. That when I was doing that workshop mm-hmm. and didn't have an offer for Broadway, but, it, but the show was going to Broadway, but I knew I had to offer for this workshop, and they had replaced every Elder Price. Like the rest of the cast had pretty much stayed intact, right. but every time they did a reading, they changed the Elder Price. So here we are, final workshop, and I was like, I'm not, I don't, I'm not losing this job. I don't want to lose this job. So Stephen Aremus, who's the musical director and the arranger and is a friend of mine, we started singing through things and I just kept suggesting maybe they all go up a little bit. And he was like, well, that, I don't know if that's a good idea, but okay. So we just kept sort of jacking up keys. And of course it's exciting and it sounds yeah, great. Amazing. And I wasn't thinking about eight shows. I was like, I just want to make sure that. I get to do this when I get it goes to, do to this. Broadway. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what happened. And luckily for me, like my voice sort of sits in a, you know, high place naturally. And um, so it wasn't a, a, a struggle to do it. But, um, yeah, I've had a lot of people sort of curse at me. Um, so a lot of other tenors who are like, why? Why did you do why that? Why would you do that to us? You're not a team player, Andrew. I wasn't being a team player. Have they had to change the key or lower it when other people have come in after you? I think so, yeah, which I think is, you know, that's good. I mean, because yeah. it's not about hitting those notes. It's about telling that story. And so if it needs to be a half step lower or something, like, then so make it. it lower. Yeah. All right. Well, I just am imagining right now there are kids in Nebraska and all over the world with the CD cover to Book of Mormon 
and you are now their entree into this world That's that may just change their life. And That's I know you've you been that for my family. Thank you. And uh, I'm so grateful that you came in today. I cannot thank you enough. This is so much fun. Thank you so much. All my recreation seems to suit me okay. These are the games I play. It's tough with love. Love's tough to show. Let me face the music. It's a song that I was waiting to hear so long. That was Andrew singing on the 2016 Broadway cast recording of Falsettos from Ghostlight Records that is now available to be purchased anywhere you buy music. So go get it. It's the most beautiful cast album of one of my favorite Broadway shows of all time, Falsettos from Ghostlight Records. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast. And on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. ProMedia Sound Vision. Find out more at ProMedia.nyc. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.